Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. If you're looking for a dull, feel-good religion, or clap your hands, sit around the campfire kumbaya, you've come to the wrong place. We are dealing with toxic levels of authentic masculinity. I would say good luck, but luck is for pagans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fifth anniversary, fifth year anniversary of the Catholic Man Show recording. Welcome one and all. We are on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. I cannot believe we have made it five years. If you would have told me that we'd been doing this for five years when we first started, I'd have been I would have been highly susceptible. Uh, not suspicious. Sus- suspicious. suspicious. Yeah, not, not sus- susceptible. <laughs> Highly suspicious. It's a, tr- that would it's a be, tricky word. It's that that uh, would be the the case. But here we are. But here we are. At your home. Fifth year. Yeah, I, I actually looked, went back into our uh, uh, website just to make sure, like that was the because we we are actually on the radio before we actually started the podcast, and then we started just throwing the podcast up, and uh, beginning of May was was when we. Uh, Posted our first episode. I guess since it's plural, we should say "eche homus." Eche homus. I mean, our Latin classes are really coming in. Just strong. Kicking in, yeah. It's like, yeah. So, but we're really excited about uh, this episode today. We have a very special guest here on the. Uh, what's wrong? What's wrong? Can't hear me. People can't hear me. Oh. It must be on on. Uh, can they hear me? One VMix. No. Okay, keep going. That's all right. We'll fix it. Okay. So I'm really excited, though, about having uh, or having this episode. It's a very important topic that we need to discuss, It and we have the opportunity to have a very special guest, an expert on the topic, which is very good since Dave and I are not experts. Shocker. But we have uh, Dr. Joe Ebley here with us. He is a radiologist here in uh, the Diocese of Tulsa in eastern Oklahoma. Uh, Dr. Ebley, what, what is the name of uh, your... Your work again, or your your office? Fidelis Radiology. Fidelis Radiology. Okay, um, so yeah, so we're really excited to have you, Fidelis. You you're a radiologist, but you have you've been doing a lot of work on this topic. That is, I mean, actually, before we we reached out to you, what does a radiologist do? First of all, you look oh, at okay. pictures. Is that what you do for a living? Uh, a radiologist actually can do a broad span of different things, uh, but MRI, CT, X-ray. Mammography. Those are the things that people are most familiar with. I have something with. that I'd like you to look at after this show, yeah. right over here. Do you get a lot of that? You get you, a lot of you that? Get, no, because that's what family <laughs> practice doctors yeah. get. Yeah. By, the, by the time it gets to me, it's already been looked at by somebody else. Oh, okay. okay I get it. I and need so, to take a picture of my cell phone, and I'll send that yeah, to you. Yeah. That yeah, way right. you can That'll look work. at it. Right. Got yeah, it. That's what I need. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, but before we get into the topic, which is uh, we're going to talk about death. First, we need to review this. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, brain death, and so a topic that Dr. Ebley was telling us is not being talked about in the Catholic sphere, right? Except not for really. no. except for him. You know, he's kind of spearheading this top th- this conversation. You and, and another uh, yeah, there's a couple there's, other guys, right? Well, so sort of this topic has been around since 1968. Uh, but it was sort of grandfathered in into law uh, around 1981, 1982, in that period, um, without any discussion at the public level. 
And so brain death just sort of became the law of the land and no one spoke about it. Um, and I started becoming interested in this issue four or five years ago, and I started looking at the medical evidence, uh, the metaphysical evidence, the biophilosophical evidence biophilosophical. of the vil- of the validity. I didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, it's a thing. Is that like a section in the library? Like, oh yeah, it's huge. Can you tell you me what the visit, biophilosophical you visit, uh, you should visit section it, is, David? I will. I, I mean, it, it would it would it would do amazing things. Might for actually your go to the library. Puny cerebrum. Um, <laughs> But like, that's so this could be the ticket. I started learning about this. No, but but in all in all seriousness, I started learning about this and I realized that the whole concept was totally made up. Hmm. Literally. Literally made up out of thin air. And that all the evidence refuted it. And so Interesting. I began I began to learn more and more about it and I realized that people had basically just accepted this and said, you know what? It's too much. It's too complicated. We don't want to deal with it. It's a very messy issue. And so it's sort of the can has been kicked down the road now for 60 years. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I love about the millennial generation is that we want the truth, right? The millennial generation wants the truth. We're not interested in hearing about whether it's inconvenient or difficult or something people don't want to talk about, we want the truth. Because that is what heroic virtue is all about. We're on a man show. That's right. Right? That's We're right. on a show about being men, and part of being a man is to protect those that are weak and vulnerable. Part mm. of being a man is to go to bat at great sacrifice to yourself. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that is what being Preach a man it. is all about. Yep. And so I looked at this issue, and... and I started communicating with some of those who are in the scholarly world discussing this issue. And when this proposed revision to the Uniform Definition of Death Act, which we'll come to, came out, uh, it became clear to me that we needed to act. Now is the time. Now is the time. And and now is especially the time because this is the year of St. Joseph. For such a time as this. Who is St. Joseph? He is the hope of the sick. Mm-hmm. And the patron, patron of, of the, the dying. dying. Yes. Nice. Right? I see what you Who did are there. the brain dead people? Sick. They're and, the sick. And, and they dying. may be dying. Maybe dying. But they may not be dying. Mm-hmm. So this this is the time, gentlemen. To this talk is about the it. time yeah. to Amen talk to about it. This is the time to bring this issue to the sphere of the public so that they can make an evaluation for themselves. Which is why we want to talk to you about it today, just because yes. it's uh, something that I think is probably not on almost everybody's radar it's just it's not that they they just don't even know that it, that it's a thing but before right. before we um jump into get, the topic. jump into the topic let's just briefly mention what we're what we are sipping on today i mean we don't want to break tradition on exactly. our five-year like fifth anniversary <laughs> yeah. yeah um so we're drinking some west cork it's an irish whiskey um it's an eight-year small batch um I know we have some listeners in Ireland. I'd love to hear what your guys' thoughts are on it because being from my family, being from Cork, Ireland, uh, I would like to know, you know, if if this was a a hometown kind of Scott or, or whiskey, or if it's a uh, yeah, so it's a single malt Americanized Irish whiskey, right? Which there's a lot of, right? Uh, matured, it's first fill bourbon casts. Eight years. It's very strong on the nose of candy apple, like granny. Like apple is just extremely strong on the nose. Uh, green, like Granny Smith apples. It's very interesting. 
very sweet uh, candy on the nose. Yeah, the the palate doesn't have that same follow through. Like, I don't I don't get those flavors on the tongue. Not near as much. At the end, though. How much was it? It was only about uh, forty bucks. So that's like what I really love about Irish whiskey is their affordability. You you can get and it's uh, eight year. I mean, it's eight year. Yeah, uh, Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's nice. I mean, you can get a very drinkable like. You know, just if you're looking for, you know, a Tuesday, right? A bottle for a Tuesday. You know, it's not anything special, just, just a regular day. You know, mm-hmm. you have a nightcap with your wife or something, and you, it's like, well, are you gonna, you gonna like open the hundred dollar bottle? It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not that rich. I'll just tell you, yet, I'm working on it, but I won't be. We'll ever, see. But that's okay. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, it's not bad. It's okay. I, I'll be interested as we go. I'll, I'll give it yeah, a like little bit more updates. How, how I warm up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about... Uh, Juan, how much time do we got here before... I don't want to broach into or get into the topic too much without... Uh, okay, so we just have a few a few minutes before our first break. Okay, but we're talking about uh, death, brain death. Maybe we start with just what is death, and then we can pick it up on the other side of the break if we need to. Sure, that's a good question. Well, the, the first thing to talk about is what is the human person? And so the human person is the substantial union of body and soul. So the Mm -hmm. body is material, the soul is immaterial. The soul is the principle of integration of the body. It holds the body together. It allows it to function as a coherent whole. Mm -hmm. In Christian thought, death occurs when the soul leaves the body. Mm -hmm. How do we know the soul leaves the body the soul is invisible. How can we know? It's you, invisible. You, you start. You you can see it by the disintegration of the material. De- de- material decomposing parts. part of the body. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. We know by the effect. Right. So we can't see the soul itself, but we can see the ramifications yeah. of the soul having left the body. The body begins to disintegrate mm-hmm. because the principle of integration has left. Right. And you know this is something that was part of our culture. Um, for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, we have a person, but once they're, once they have died, we refer to their body as remains, right? Not the remain. You know, it's like, because it's, it's disintegrated. It's not one part anymore. It's all of the parts because they're no longer integrated. That's why that's right. We refer to it in that way. That's right. That's right. And so that's, that's exactly right. And so when, when a person is dead, the corpse, so like, for example, the possum that I was telling Adam about earlier that was disintegrating in my backyard, <laughs> right? How did I know it was dead? Because it was bloated, right? It was full of gas. It was buzzing with flies. It right. was coming apart. It yeah. smelled terrible. Putrefaction had set in. It was rigid, and it was ambient temperature, right? Did you eat it? I. You wanted it to. It passed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to admit it, but it, it, it passed my mind. But... So, how is that different from brain death? Alright? Yeah. We'll That's, pick that up after yeah. the break. Yeah, exactly. So, sitting here drinking a little bit of West Cork Irish whiskey, talking with Dr. Ebley about brain death on the fifth anniversary of the Catholic Man Show. Woo! We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So, raise your glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We have Dr. Joe Ebley in the studio, in the studio today. We also have Jim Spencer guarding the door, Juan Posada operating the switches and buttons and things. So uh, we were just talking about brain death. We talked about what death is. What is it? You know, the person, we're body, soul composites. Um, we're not just a body. Our body is also not just like the shell that, anim- that, you know, like we kind of like the soul rides through life here, you know, that we're freed from. We are body, soul composites. The human person is, consists of a body and a soul. Um, it's what, one of the things we believe in as Catholics, the resurrection of the body. So That's right. someday in heaven we will uh, joyously be reunited with our with our bodies glorified it's, it's state it's gonna be sweet like it's gonna be what's it gonna, what be what's it gonna be like to be in heaven like like this <laughs> like with your body you it's know what be, i mean uh, like it's gonna be awesome i i hope i get to experience it someday like th- uh, like think about how big your biceps are now they'll be bigger no doubt right i, I would imagine impossible for you david they, well, that, that's what they think I, science <laughs> Science has. I mean, I am a physician. I'm looking at those biceps. Just pump it full of creatine right when the glorified body (laughs) happens. Yeah, Yeah, so like, it's in my will. Uh, He wanted his arms injected with creatine before we put him in the (laughs) casket. It's a little weird, but he did pay for it. So (laughs) So we're going to let it ride. Here we go. Okay, so 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 brain dead. That's right. Okay, so so we we, we we've we've, talked about death. Yes. What is brain death? Yeah. Like well, just just what is it? Like how do you determine it? Yeah. So in 1968, the Harvard Medical School ad hoc committee came out with a statement. Okay. All right. And they said irreversible coma as a new criterion for death. Okay. This was how brain death was defined: irreversible coma as a new new criterion for death. The idea behind brain death is that the brain is dead, but the body otherwise looks alive. So your heart is beating, you're breathing, your blood is pumping through your body. Okay? So let me go through a little bit of history so that our listeners, our viewers can understand how this came into being. The Uniform Definition of Death Act was passed in 1981. All right? This was model legislation for all the states to then pass individually individually in each state. And currently, Mm -hmm. the Uniform Definition of Death Act has been passed in every state with slight variations in the language. I'm going to read that to you guys just just so that we have the exact definition. An individual who has sustained either one irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory functions or two irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brainstem, is dead. A determination of death must be made in accordance with accepted medical standards. And so what it's saying is you can either be dead the tradition legally. Legally, you can either be dead the traditional way, so your heart stops, your lungs stop, and everything stops, or you can be brain dead, which the Uniform Definition of Death Act describes as the irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain. Okay. The accepted medical standards at this time are the, essentially, in the United States, the American Academy of Neurology guidelines, which were last updated in 2010. Let's just go through those very briefly. Basically, what they say is, is brain death is a clinical diagnosis, clinical, which means you look at the patient, you test them with physical exam. It's a clinical diagnosis. 
okay? It has to show an absence of brainstem reflexes, unresponsiveness, mm-hmm. so coma, unresponsiveness to even the most painful stimuli, and then the patient has to fail something called the apnea test, which we will get into, but basically it lets the carbon dioxide level in the blood increase, and if the patient doesn't start to breathe on his or her own, the patient is declared dead, Okay. I want to point out two things with the American Academy of Neurology guidelines, and I'm going to tell you a story. First of all, the presence of normal blood pressure and water regulation indicating persistent function of a part of the brain called the hypothalamus is consistent, compatible with a declaration of brain death. So right okay. there, we've contradicted the Uniform Definition of Death Act. So according to, according to who, it's synonymous so, so if if the hypothalamus, the hypothalamic pituitary axis, uh-huh. is still functioning, according to the American Academy of Neurology guidelines, you can still be declared brain dead. Okay. Okay. okay? I see. However, this function, this this goes in. Hmm, this violates the Uniform Definition of Death Act. Right. Because so you can see right from the very beginning. We have a problem, right? Uh-huh. So that's that's number one. The second thing I want to point out is that spontaneous movements and various stretch reflexes, that is to say the body is moving, that's also compatible with the diagnosis of brain death, according to the American Academy hmm. of Neurology guidelines. Why hmm. is that? Well, because what they say is, is that those movements are mediated by your spinal cord, not the brain itself. So they say... Okay. Those are only spinal movements. So, so basically what they're telling you is you have continuous neurons going from your brain down your spinal cord. But once those neurons cross the base of your skull, the foramen magnum, they don't count anymore. Hmm. You can be dead now. Those neurons below your skull, they can still function, and you're dead. Hmm. But once they cross the skull... So something completely extraneous to the neural system, now you're alive. Hmm. So I want to point that out from the very beginning, all right, so that we understand that. Now let me tell you a story. This is a story that's very close to us because we're in Oklahoma. It's a story of Zach Dunlap. So he was a 21-year-old. In 2007, he, was, he, he lived outside of Oklahoma City. In 2007, he was in an ATV accident, suffered a severe brain injury. He was taken on a helicopter um, to the closest of hospital where he could be treated for this severe brain injury. They did a bedside clinical examination, and they did an additional test called nuclear medicine perfusion test. And they said, based upon these studies, he's brain dead. Okay? So 36 hours after his severe brain injury, he's declared brain dead. They're about to harvest his organs because that's what happens. Once you're declared brain dead, they harvest your organs. But his cousin, who's a nurse, says, you know, something doesn't seem right to me. So he takes his jackknife, and he runs it along Zach's heel. And Zach jerks his heel away. Okay? Then he takes his fingernail, and he digs it right under Zach's fingernail really hard. Zach jerks his hand away. And his cousin says, my cousin is not dead. All right? And the doctor comes and he says, yeah, I, I mean, we did all the testing and he's, he's 
dead according to the bedside clinical test and the nuclear medicine perfusion test, but something doesn't seem right. So, okay, let's not harvest his organs. Five days later, Zach opens his eyes. Hmm. Twelve days hmm. later, Zach says to his parents, I love you, and takes his first steps. Wow. Four, 48 days later, Zach walks out of the rehab center and goes home. Okay? Mm-hmm. Five months later, he's being interviewed on the Today Show in Dateline. Okay? And he says, I could hear the doctor declare me brain dead. There was nothing I could do about it. I was very angry. Basically what he says. <laughs> right? So the doctor... I, I, would, the doctor, I would also, I be, also be, the doc, be angry. So the doctor is saying, you're dead. We're going to... We're going to kill you. Yeah. Right. And there is nothing you can do. So let me let me also be very angry. Let yeah. me use these use these points to bring out a couple of points about the, uh, the American Academy of Neurology guidelines. The bedside clinical examination is incapable of determining the irreversible cessation of all brain function. Hmm. It's incapable of doing it. All so right? the test it doesn't even live it, up to the standards that we're trying to... The test to. does not live up to the standards. The test only... The bedside test only huh. tests the brain stem. Okay? Okay. The ancillary testing, so an electroencephalogram, an EEG, to look for brain electrical activity or cerebral perfusion studies, they cannot determine the irreversible cessation of all brain function. All right? Well, that's... The, to me, it seems like the hard part is, okay, there might not be brain activity at the moment... But how do you ever determine it's irreversible? I mean, you the, cannot. Like, I mean, yeah, because you cannot. You I can. mean, everybody's heard stories of like this guy was in a coma for right. twenty-five years and then he woke up. So let me give you. So basically, what what the what one of the points is is that the rules. Basically, the rule of thumb is this: we make the rules up as we go, so as to justify brain death. So the original Harvard Medical School report from 1968 said the EEG was very helpful as a confirmatory study. Very helpful. It was highly recommended. Okay? In 1971, a study came out of Minnesota. Patients that had been declared brain dead based on the bedside clinical test were found to have, some of them, persistent EEG activity, indicating persistent function of portions of the cerebrum, the mm-hmm. quote-unquote higher brain, they were declared brain dead anyway. In 1987, a study came out by Grigg and colleagues, again, looking at patients declared brain dead clinically, and many of them, about a fifth, a sixth, had persistent EEG activity, okay, electrical activity in the brain. They were declared brain dead as well. Okay. Even with even with the EEG activity. So what do you wow. think the response was by the American Academy of Neurology to this new data? We'll find out when we get back yeah. from the break. Yeah. That's what you call I'm, cliffhanger. I'm guessing it wasn't favorable, but we'll I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> know either. <laughs> uh, we're here with Dr. Joe Evley talking about brain death. Uh, stay tuned with us, we'll be right back.
This segment of The Catholic Man Show is brought to you by The Catholic Woodworker. Go to thecatholicwoodworker.com for heirloom quality home altars, crucifixes, and rosaries. It's also the only place where you can get the official rosary of The Catholic Man Show. Type in promo code TCMS for 10% off all purchases. TCMS for The Catholic Man Show. Welcome back to The Catholic Man Show. Here with Dr. Ebley. Sipping on a little bit of this West Cork Irish whiskey. I'm warming up to it a little bit more. When I first had it, I said, I was thinking in my head, you know what? It's okay. That there wasn't just, there's just not a whole lot there. There's not right. anything bad about it. But yeah. But it just wasn't. But I'm warming up to it a little bit. It's still not like packed with flavor, you know? No, it's. No. But for $40, and that's. It's a nice, a nice you're, Irish You're not whiskey. gonna get a whiskey that's. I like it better than Powers. Flavor. Do I like you? It better than Powers Irish okay. whiskey. I haven't had Powers in a long time. I couldn't. I couldn't say. I would like to do a side by side with Tula Mordu with this. But I like Tula Mordu. I do too. Okay. Anyway, uh, so we're here with Dr. Abley. We're talking about brain death. Uh, we had a cliffhanger on the other uh, from the previous. I'll let you just go ahead and pick it up. So they were finding out that all these people were having EEG they activity. Had persistent EEG activity. So what did the American Academy of Neurology do? Yeah. What they say? They made the EEG optional. Okay. Right? So. <laughs> So now, okay, right? this is going against what we said. So let's just make it optional now. That's right. That's exactly right. And so, a they made <laughs> who's, it. Whose option is it? The doctor's option or like the so family? So basically, no. And so basically, brain death is a clinical diagnosis. You get, you are declared brain dead based on the things we talked about before. Mm-hmm. All right. If there is, if for some reason you cannot fulfill all the steps, particularly the apnea test. Then you have to do an ancillary test, such as the EEG. So when you say it's a clinical diagnosis, do you mean that it's a diagnosis backed by the like professionalism and expertise of a doctor? Correct. As opposed to we have like uh, data. The American Academy of Neurology guidelines are by their own admission, expert opinion. There is no data. There is no evidence. Okay. So that's that's it's, what you mean by clin- It's a clinical. It is a diagnosis. clinical diagnosis. And that is why I mean by we make the rules up as we go. Uh-huh. So there are some Catholics who say there has been no case of a person for whom the guidelines were rigorously followed who was declared brain dead who continued to live. And the first question is, what guidelines? The guidelines of the American Academy of Neurology? Because those can change at any time. Right, and they have, and they have. Well, I mean, they they're making them up as they go because, okay, there is persistent function of the hypothalamus, the hypothalamic pituitary axis in brain dead patients, many brain dead patients. Right, this is evidenced by persistent water regulation. Okay, within the patient. Okay, the hypothalamic pituitary axis is part of the brain, but mm-hmm. that doesn't count. Why? Well, not for any logical reason, but because brain-dead patients keep have very clear clinical evidence that it's still functioning. So mm-hmm. let's exclude it. All right? So that part of the brain can still be functioning. Okay? But uh, let's not count it. Why? Just, just because it's inconvenient. Okay? It, it's, it's, it's logically inconsistent. And so the other thing that you see here in Zach's case that we talked about is that unresponsiveness is equated with unconsciousness, okay? 
ev absence of evidence is said to be evidence of absence, and this is a fallacy of logic. Right. The motor and sensory pathways in the body are distinct. So Zach could hear what was being said, but he could not respond. He was unresponsive, but he was not unconscious. If a person were paralyzed, mm. it would be possible that you could pinch them and they could feel the pain, but they couldn't move because they're paralyzed. And so in the, the idea that just because someone is unable to respond means that they're not able to hear and understand, is, it's a very scary thing. Imagine being declared brain dead and you were hearing it. Right, and there yeah. was nothing you could do about sure. it. What a nightmare that would be! And and people say, well, but the number the number of patients for whom this happens is, is very very low, and you say, well, of course, because once they're declared brain dead, their organs are harvested. Right. So that's the thing is that we don't know, because a lot of times these people are like, okay, if they're not dead but they're declared brain dead, their organs are harvested, they're killed. That's correct. Right. So that's exactly right. So do. Like, in your opinion, is uh, the organ harvesting industry behind a lot of these recommendations that the AMA is making? Is it the AMA? The American is Academy of Neurology, okay. AAN. Not the AMA. No, that's the American Medical Association. The American Academy of Neurology. So you have to understand that organ procurement is a multi-billion dollar industry. Right. So as we all know, money corrupts. Money causes good people to see things in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. All right, and you can imagine how that would happen slowly. Like, well, that's right. uh, we like really someone who's making these guidelines, wanting to do the right thing, and having to weigh the balance of is this person alive? We don't honestly, we don't know. Like that's our right. best case, our best judgment says that this person is dead, and that we have the opportunity mm -hmm. to save three lives. That's right by harvesting their organs. Right, it's not like the organ harvesting industry is. Um, evil by by what it is, right? I mean, yeah. it's it. They it's, went into it with the best of intentions, and so that that leads us to sort of a question: What has the medical evidence shown? Because you're right. When the Harvard Medical School ad hoc committee came out with this idea in 1968, frankly, we had no idea whether it was true or not. I mean, they said irreversible coma is a new criterion for death. Right. I mean, they weren't they weren't actually claiming this was biological death. They were just saying we based can, off of what we've seen. This if, is, this well, is. well, they're not responding. And so let's call it death because we can use those organs. Remember, we had, remember that the first cardiac transplant occurred less than a year before this came out. This new this really. Yes. This. new. Wow. I did this, not know that. OK. This. So the first cardiac transplant occurred within months before this new definition coming out, all right? So there is a very close chronology between these two. These are, these are not unrelated. Mm -hmm. Sure, all well, there right? was no reason to change no, death before. No, there was no reason, I mean, absolutely. Who cares? Who cares? Uh, up until this moment, well, now all of a sudden there is... There's a reason, there's a reason because yeah. we need fresh, vital organs, mm -hmm. and we can't get them from cadavers because cadavers are dead. Right. So... This, this came out, and, and so basically the idea was is that the brain is the integrator of the body. So basically, they attributed to the brain the role of the soul. They said the brain right. keeps the body together, integrates it, allows it to maintain homeostasis. This bore out to not be the case. By the late 1990s, approximately 170 cases of chronically brain-dead patients had come into the medical literature. 
okay? These chronically brain-dead patients showed wound healing, right? Maintain maintenance of body temperature. Yeah, reintegration. Fighting infection. Children demonstrated proportionate physical growth and sexual maturation. Brain-dead pregnant women gestated their children. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I've heard of that. How about... In comas, like yeah, just be, having babies. You have a you 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 know. Man, you give, imagine you give that as a woman, a like coma. you wake up one day and and your daughter's ten. Man, so all these, so all the, all this is evidence. I mean, obvious evidence that the soul is still present. Right, right. The soul is still present and still integrating the body. So mm-hmm. let me. There's another. There's a very very important case that came out about a young girl named Jahai McMath, um, who was 13 years old and was declared brain dead. She went under underwent substantial testing. So, bedside clinical examination by two neurologists and an intensivist, four EEGs, and a nuclear medicine perfusion study, all of which were done under ver- under you know the strictest of guidelines, and she was declared dead. Her mother took her to New Jersey, which is the only state with a conscience exemption to a declaration of brain death. Okay, hmm. for re- purposes of religion, because the Jewish community fought very hard in New Jersey for this. In New Jersey, Jahai continued to live for another four years. At home, on a ventilator, and her mom fed her. There's all these videos online showing Jahai reacting to various things. All right? During that period of time, she began to menstruate. All right? So she was undergoing proportionate physical growth mm-hmm. and undergoing normal pubertal changes. As far as I know, corpses don't menstruate. Right. I mean, stop me if I'm wrong, but it seems reasonable to assert that if the soul is gone... Yeah, doctor, that is also my understanding. <laughs> is it also your understanding? I concur. I concur. Good. All right. So, so now we're starting to get a picture, all right? We're starting to get a picture that there is a very, very real difference between someone who is dead and someone who is brain dead. A dead person is cold, they're lifeless, they're rigid. A brain dead person is warm and pink, their heart is beating, they're breathing, they look just like every other patient in the ICU. Every other patient. Mm -hmm. All right? But they're going to have their vital organs taken. So let me ask you this. How do you determine if someone is dead? What is, like, what's the, if we're not going to use brain death, like... Irreversible cessation of all vital function. Okay. And so basically you have to say, there, I mean, the heart stops and the lungs stop and then everything stops. The body just stops functioning in its entirety, okay? Let me ask you this. Yeah. If, if that's the standard we use for death, right? does that eliminate organ donation altogether? It would effectively limit eliminate vital organ transplantation. So something like a heart, where you only have one, and if you lose it, I mean, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. It would effectively eliminate vital organ transplantation. Maybe there are some who yeah, are obviously there that, could be some circumstances. There, where yes, there, there's. It, this is sort of a um, a subject of debate in the community. Getting out into the weeds. How how do yeah. yeah how does how does one de- how could one deal with this if we were to get rid of brain death? But uh, my colleague Dr. Wynn actually came up with a very good way of dealing with it, and that is basic. I guess we'll talk about that after the break. Okay. 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 Yeah, how to deal with it, man? This well, is. You're listening to the Captain Man Show with Adam and Dave Niles. We'll be right back. 
One of our priest friends says, to commemorate five years of what we do best, we're talking about brain death. Yeah. It's <laughs> the exact joke I made before we started. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. We're talking about brain death because it's been five years. And so, we're doing what we the do show. Best. This is the fifth anniversary, so we want to talk about dying. Slowly. <laughs> so, right before the break, one of your colleagues had recommended right. a different, like, because the problem is, how do we determine if you're dead? So, that, yeah, so basically, there, what can we do if, if we're going to say that people aren't dead until we actually know they're dead? Is there any way to get their, uh, is there any way to continue with vital organ transplantation? And we said it would be very difficult. So basically, one possible suggestion that is passable within this country, because basically we're not willing to give up organ transplantation, mm-hmm. is informed consent. All right? And so you need to opt in to organ donation and when you opt in to be an organ donor, they need to tell you everything about brain death. All right? So that's one solution. Now, let me tell you the other solution that we need to get to, the proposed revision to the Uniform Definition of Death Act, which is highly problematic. This is currently being heard before the Uniform Law Commission right now. The Uniform Law Commission is a group of judges and lawyers. All right? They articulate laws for states that individual states can then adopt. All right, this, the goal is to create uniformity amongst states. This proposed revision to the Uniform Definition of Death Act has basically three parts. One, the accepted medical standard for brain death is explicitly said to be the American Academy of Neurology guidelines with a provision for future incorporation of all revisions. The AAN becomes how we determine brain death. Two, Hormonal function does not count, all right? It doesn't count. You can be declared brain dead even though the hypothalamic pituitary axis is still functioning. Three, informed consent is not necessary prior to testing someone for brain death, all right? I'm going to go very quickly through some problems with this proposed revision. One, as we already talked about, the American Academy of Neurology guidelines are not capable of determining the irreversible cessation of all brain function, mm-hmm. all right? The bedside clinical exam can't do it. The EEG can't do it. The cerebral perfusion studies can't do it. Two, as we already talked about also, the hormonal function is showing us that um, a portion of the brain is still functioning. This contradicts the Uniform Definition of Death Act, which stipulates the irreversible cessation of all brain function. So how do we get around that? We change the Uniform Definition of Death Act. So now the uniform defini- the revised Uniform Definition of Death Act explicitly accepts the American Academy of Neurology guidelines. So they cut off a potential for lawsuits. Mm-hmm. This is what it's really about. Because patients have sued because they've said the UDDA stipulates irreversible cessation of all brain function. Demonstrably, my loved one has brain function and you declared him or her brain dead. I sue you. Well, we're going to change... Yeah, I think I would do that too. We're going to change the UDDA, so now you can't sue us. All right? Three, the proposed revision would make it very challenging for the patient's proxy to object to a declaration of brain death. All right? There is no exemption for... There is no exemption clause for freedom of conscience. Okay? 
This is one of the biggest critiques I hmm. think of it. You can't say, no, we don't want to accept the declaration of brain death for any reason. Conscience, religion, philosophical, for whatever reason, you can't do that. All right. Four, you can't, like we already said, you can't challenge it in the court system because basically it's making it easier to declare the patient brain dead by removing hormonal function. And finally, the cornerstone test for brain death testing, the apnea test, um, you don't need informed consent to perform that. That's problematic. Why? A, it's non-beneficial. B, it's potentially harmful. Without going into the details, by allowing the carbon dioxide levels in your blood to increase, it can increase the pressure in your brain. By increasing the pressure in your brain, it can decrease the amount of oxygen that your brain is receiving. So potentially damaged brain that could heal slash come back could be converted to dead brain. Yeah. It can cause... You're suffocating. It can cause mm. that what it, it is intended what it's trying to, achieve. to diagnose. Right. Okay? Okay, that makes sense. So my take-home point for your viewers, um, the goal of organ transplantation is to change a lot, is to save lives. Right. Right. But we Not to take them. But we cannot save lives at the expense of other people, even right. sick or dying people. Yeah, we're not totalitarianists. That's that's exactly right. All the evidence, right? All the evidence, the medical, the metaphysical, the biophilosophical, it all shows, it all concurs with what the layman intuitively knows, and that is the brain dead patient is not dead. Because we are not our brains. No, we are not our brains. That's something I think we need to just specifically say, that you're not, not your brain. That's right. Right, that's right. Your brain is not your body. The you're, brain, right, the, the whole is greater than and ontologically prior to the sum of its parts. When you came into being as a human person, as a single, right, as a, you became yeah, a zygote. Cell, right, yeah. Right? You had no brain. You had no brain. No and brain. Y- and yet you continued to grow. And yet you were a human thrive. person, right? And in cephalic children... All right, the USCCB has said are children or or persons, right? Even though they have essentially no brain, are they bor- born with that. Yeah, born without a brain stem Basically, or something. Well, without almost the entire brain. Okay, but they're but the USCCB has said they're human persons. Of course they are. All right, and so we have this, but we've somewhat created a real problem for ourselves. I mean, if you were born without your left arm, you wouldn't be any less human person. That's exactly right. That's right. That's exactly right. And so basically, when we accepted these brain death criteria, and by we, I mean we, the Catholic community, when we allowed, when we gave this a pass, when we said how you declare someone dead is arbitrary, we proceeded down a slippery slope. And this proposed revision to the Uniform Definition of Death Act is evidence of that. It is going to become increasingly easier to declare someone dead because we live in a utilitarian society. And so once you are dead enough, we can take your organs. And what is what qualifies as dead enough can change at any time, all right? Because these evident, these guidelines are based totally on expert opinion. They're not based on evidence. Mm-hmm. We saw the same thing with euthanasia, right? And so in countries that legalize euthanasia, first it was the very old and sick who would only live a few months. Then it was the depressed. Then it was children, mm-hmm. right? Very quickly. Very quickly. Very within, quickly. Within a couple of years. Within a couple of years. And so... We're, we're going to go down the same slippery slope if we do not, and we, and I mean people of all goodwill, all right? Because this is not just a Christian thing. This is Jews, Muslims, the human thing. atheists. If you're a human. If you're a human person. And you, you like being that way. You recognize that a brain-dead person is not dead. 
It doesn't require any first principles. It doesn't require any religious beliefs. Right. It's it's evident. Well, just because they're brain dead doesn't necessarily mean that they're dead. I mean, right. So, for right. example, yeah. there's a case very quickly, but of a kid called TK uh, who died at the age of four, or he was declared brain dead at the age of four because of a brain infection, bacterial meningitis mm-hmm. through Haemophilus influenzae, completely destroyed his brain, all of it. He continued to survive for another 20 years, all right? When they did the autopsy, first of all, there are MRI showing there's no brain tissue, but they took the autopsy, and his brain, and this is on pathologic analysis, under a microscope, mm-hmm. there was no brain tissue, zero. It was like this calcified, like, just been granulomatous, away. like, mass. But this, this boy demonstrated persistent integration indicative of the presence of the soul. His body was still fighting infection. He was still utilizing nutrients. He had no brain at all. Wow. Okay? So this is, this is I mean, the medical evidence is overwhelming, overwhelming that the soul persists in those who are declared brain dead. Overwhelming. Or at least often persists. I mean, the thing is, you can't, you just can't say that brain dead equals death. That's right. Oh, absolutely know, not. Sometimes, sometimes a person is dead. You or know, or they're dying. Or they're dying. Right. Or they're dying. Mm-hmm. They're dying. Right. Right. It's not like oh, they're brain dead. No, that means they're definitely not dead. You know. Correct. It, right. It just means that that you can't use that alone to determine death. That's exactly right. Because the brain is not the soul. Correct. The brain is not the soul. The soul subsists in every part of the body. Yeah, and the brain is not your intellect either. No, that's right. It's it's all the powers, vegetative, so growth, nutrition, reproduction, um, sensation, reaction, intellect, and will. All of these are parts of the human soul, okay? Final two points. One, if you have a driver's license and you said you would be an organ donor, you accepted brain death criteria. After hearing today's uh, talk, hopefully you will reconsider whether or not you wish to be an organ donor. Now, maybe you say, I really don't care. It's fine if somebody takes my organs if I'm mostly dead. I'm close enough. But your wife may care, all right? Your children may care. So tell your children, tell your grandchildren, because you care about them, don't be an organ donor. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I would encourage you, if you're a Catholic, to go to your priest, to your parish priest, and ask him, I don't know what to think about this. It's a, it's a difficult subject. And your parish priest won't know. And so your parish priest will go to your bishop, and he'll say, I don't know what to tell this parishioner or all these parishioners who are coming to me. And your bishop will say, well, I, I really don't know either. And then we'll continue to punt this up until eventually the magisterium clarifies this for the sake of the faithful mm-hmm. because it's too important, right? When there are really important issues in medicine, right, we wait for the magisterium because it's guided by the Holy Spirit. When contraception was being debated, all the theologians were saying, contraception's okay, you know, it's all right. And then the magisterium came in and said, no. Yeah, yeah right. right? Yeah. No. Not going to happen. Ask your parish priest, please. Okay, so Dr. Abley, I'm extremely grateful for you coming on our show. Uh, if you're listening on the radio right now, go check out thecatholicmanshow.com. We'll continue this conversation for just a little bit longer if you're okay with Absolutely, that sure. uh, on the podcast. So we're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Do you feel like God is calling you to go on a pilgrimage? 
Well, for the last 34 years, Select International Tours has been leading pilgrimages to holy sites all over the world. And you want when you go on pilgrimages, Dave, you want to make sure you have the great, the best hotels. You're touring with the best guides, and every detail has been addressed. And that's exactly what you're getting with Select International Tours. So, for more information, go to their brand new website, selectinternationaltours.com. They have been a sponsor of the Catholic Man Show for a long time now. Even during the COVID pandemic, they were still sponsoring our show. A lot of other tour companies were really shutting down. These guys were consistent. So go to selectinternationaltours.com to find out more information about all the great pilgrimages they offer all over the world. So a question that I have, uh, Dr. Ebley, and I... I want to preface this by saying I'm just playing the devil's advocate. I'm sure. not. I'm. I'm not advocating for this myself. I'm. Or I'm not trying. I'm just trying to understand like uh, our moral obligation. Sure. Uh, because I, I understand. I or my my understanding is, is that we have a moral obligation to keep people alive uh, to the best of our abilities. Um, until they die and, and, of natural. Until causes. they co- die of natural causes or. I know that like there are some cases that I've uh, read about where it's like there's just so much extreme to try to keep them alive. Heroic. Yeah. Efforts, so yeah. so you're you're there's a distinction between ordinary and extraordinary measures. That's what you're trying to get at. Yeah, and I would, uh, yeah, because I'm trying to understand like you know because 50 years ago we didn't under or That's 100 right. years ago we didn't understand any of this. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we've That's now right. come to more knowledge, which That's is right. good. That's actually uh, right. you know, and and so like how do what's our moral obligation here uh, when it comes to uh, people who are brain dead, um, and and how do we how do we decipher this? Because uh, go ahead, and then I'll ask a follow up. Maybe it's a, it's a it's a it's a very good question. So f- the first thing to understand is is that people for whom in in general for whom vital organs are desirable the typical case of a organ donor is a young person constitutionally healthy most often a male because we're typically in we're more prone to accidents who has a sudden severe Shocker. injury Shocker. yeah so <laughs> right so has a sudden severe injury and has a severe brain injury all right so, basically, if you have a sudden severe brain injury, all right, and there's swelling in your brain, it is potential. In, in, in every case, every case differs, and it's like we were saying before. I don't want to say anything hard and fast because there are no hard and fast rules. Right. You don't want to paint with too broad of I don't, a brush. I don't want yeah. to paint with too broad of a brush. But in general, you need to give the patient time to declare himself or herself in what direction they're going. Because let's just say that you have swelling in your brain, and that's decreased the blood level to the brain, okay? Mm-hmm. There is such a thing as global ischemic penumbra. And the idea is is that the amount of blood that your brain is getting is low enough that you're not functioning quite right. The brain is not quite hitting on all cylinders, but it's still alive, Okay. We don't exactly know how long global ischemic penumbra can persist, but if a patient is in that state, they will appear brain dead. Okay, hmm. and so if they're in that state, you need to treat them aggressively with neurointensive procedures. Keep them cold. Make that make sure the carbon dioxide levels in their in their blood 
don't go up. All right, so don't give them the apnea test. Mm-hmm. Treat them very aggressively and then give them time to see if they do recover because you don't know. They could be dying. I, I mean, you know, they, they, you know, let's say they come in, it's a polytrauma case, you, you get a CT, there's a massive, you know, epidural hemorrhage with subfalcine herniation and you're like, oh gosh, this is, you know, this, really patient, bad. this patient's going to die. I, I mean, you know, but until they are dead... You can't take their organs. Right. And I'm not advocating that at all. Right. And that's, and this is the thing is, is we need to make sure like they, you may look at it and say they are certainly going to die, but until they are dead, you cannot take their organs. Right. right? Because I can say that about everybody. Yeah. Certainly you are going to die. It's a slippery slope. The the last moment of your life is no less valuable than any other moment. You know, I mean, so a person can never, this is very important. A person, for all those listening, a person can never lose their dignity. They can only be treated in an undignified way. Right. A person can never lose their dignity. You did not give them their dignity. They did not give themselves their dignity. God gave them their dignity. They are made in the image and likeness of God, and it's by virtue of that that they have their dignity. And so we cannot sacrifice anyone, no matter how wounded, and even if they are dying, Mm-hmm. They're 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 they are they right. were they were sh- they were saved by the precious blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. And they have infinite value. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, so, but, oh, and to people who are like very concerned that okay, so heart transplants just won't they'll just won't exist anymore. So, there are actually, I mean, th- it's not developed yet for the technology isn't there yet. But um, I mean, they're working on other things. Like with 3D printing, actually, where there was a, this is like five or six years ago, maybe it was longer than that, because I'm like way losing track of time. Uh, but they took a sheep, a lamb, a yeah. sheep, whatever, and they harvested some of its own heart cells and took a CAT scan, you know, were able to create a 3D model of its heart and 3D print an identical replica of its own heart using its own cells. And they did a heart transplant, and the sheep lived for like four or five hours. I mean, then it died. But that, that was, that is actually incredible that yeah. that was able to, that that worked at all. Because what, what, what the first, good or not. What the first, <laughs> well, what the first for, step for is. The first, you know, like the first try, you know, like that's, it's, it's, it's a huge breakthrough. So the problem is, is that money will not be invested in alternative ways of addressing this until such time as brain death is no longer used. So medical technology is very powerful. We have to make sure it's done in ethical ways. Yeah. But is it possible that we could come up with something else? Sure, right? I mean, there's like artificial hearts. I mean, there's there's all kinds yeah, of things true. that we could possibly do to prolong these people's lives. But the money won't be there for it until this option is no longer available. Uh, and, I, and I mean, this is not to say that we want people to die. It's to recognize the value of each human person and that no one is able to be sacrificed. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it's, we live in a fallen state. And, and so, you know, there are going to be heartbreaking cases, um, but we can't, we can't violate our ethical principles. It's a very, very dangerous precedent. Yeah, but I could see a guy saying like, listen, okay, I agree, I, I agree with you on all this, but there, there could be a, a, 
a situation where I'm now brain dead and there's like there's like almost no ch- barring a miracle barring the supernatural there's really no chance of me surviving unless you put me on a ventilator and just keep me alive medically for the next 20 30 40 years however long and then I just die mm-hmm. um 20 or 100 years ago I would have just died of natural causes I would prefer you know to not put my my family through through that financially emotionally and just prefer to die of natural causes. Where's the line there? Where's the line of this is a natural cause or I have the oblig the more that was kind of where yeah. I was getting with my with it's, my question. It's a different subject. Um, it's 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 the distinction between ordinary and extraordinary care. So so to very simply, ordinary care ordinary care is morally obligatory and it is that care for which there is a reasonable hope of benefit without excessive burden cost okay a reasonable hope of benefit without excessive burden or cost which is vague it's a separate subject but the reason it's vague is because it's different in every circumstance right it's vague on purpose it's vague on purpose that's right so for example let's say that in this country let's say let's say adam needed to be on dialysis Okay, so Adam's Adam's kidneys, kidneys didn't function very well. Thank you, Dave. He yeah. needed to be on dialysis. Well, Adam has insurance. There's a dialysis center nearby. Yeah, I know he doesn't, but you know, <laughs> hypothetically. Insurance. Yeah. No, you got a new job. Yeah, you I got a new job. Hey! Adam's now employed. Right. So, uh, but unfortunately, he's on dialysis. And so he has a family, right? It's easy for him to go get dialysis three times a week. I would say that's morally obligatory that he should go get his dialysis because he has insurance, it's convenient, he has a family to take care of. I would say there's a reasonable hope of benefit, there is no excessive burden, and there is no excessive cost. Mm -hmm. Let's say that Adam lived in Africa and his kidneys didn't function. Now, in order to get dialysis for him, he has to walk two days each way to go to a dialysis center the cost of dialysis is $100 per treatment, and he makes $5 a month. Now dialysis has become an extraordinary means. Right. And so to, to answer your question... Or even if it's in town and you make $5 a you month... you make $5 a month, it's, it's yeah, extraordinary. You just can't do it. And so to answer your question, you have to look at each individual case and use the general principles, which is why it's, it's so, so important that every person have a health care power of attorney. Not a living will. A living mm-hmm. will is not helpful. Yeah, an advanced think. directive. No. Get a healthcare power of attorney because... Every, no, wait, situ- not an advanced directive. No, you want a healthcare power of attorney because okay. the situation can always change, right? The situation is always changing and you cannot foresee when you write these things... So this is a person that you would... A person. Yeah. A person who you designate who will make healthcare decisions for you who you believe is informed, and with whom you share ethical principles. This is very important. Mm. Everyone who's listening should have a healthcare power of attorney. See, I, have, I, de- I designated somebody, but I don't remember, like, they didn't fill it. Like, for a power of attorney, they you would have to had to sign it, it, too. You need to fill it out. It'll probably be online with the state, and then you get it notarized. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't do that. You need to but do I that. But I do have someone indicated in my will who's, like, to make... Healthcare well, it's, my, it's part of my advanced directive, which is not what you're saying is what you need. Yeah, because that'll say you can do X and you cannot do Y, but it, 
you really don't want that because you need someone who's on the ground making the decisions as they come. Mm-hmm. Medicine is much too complicated to try and deal with, with you know, a few sentences. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. You, it's much too it's much too nuanced for that. You need a good healthcare power of attorney. Hmm. See, luckily I have a priest in the family who specializes in bioethics. No. So I don't. Well, you should get one. Yeah, you should get one. <laughs> Highly recommended. They're great. But you should also have a conversation with so that person because you may be surprised. Uh, people may not share your values. I'm not saying I'm not saying this person won it in particular. But, but just you for may like have a general advice. Yeah. You may have a good friend, and you say, "Well, we're best of friends." But you may have radically divergent ideas of what's appropriate for end of life care, and you won't know until you talk about it. So. And if they're not Catholic, it's kind of like problematic. I mean, yeah. Or if they're not, if they don't at least know Catholic principles. I mean, that's the thing that, like, here in here in Oklahoma, here in Tulsa, we've got all basically not all the hospitals, but you know, St. John's and St. Francis, uh, both Catholic hospitals. But just because you're at a Catholic hospital does not mean that you will be treated according to Catholic principles. Yes. I mean, you would like to, we would all like to think that that is the case, but mm-hmm. that is, you just cannot assume that that, no. that that is the case at all. You need an advocate. Yeah. That is your healthcare power of attorney. Yeah. Anyway, Dr. Ebley, thank you very, very, very much for being here. Yes. Um, very important o- topic. Opening our eyes, yeah, to something yeah. that it's just, like I said, it's just, it wasn't on my radar until, you know, you and I started talking about it. And so uh, if people have more questions, like, if they want to f- oh, yes. look up, if they want to follow up on this, what, what what should they do? Google my last name, Ebley, and homiletic and pastoral review. E-B-L-E. E-B-L-E. We'll link it in our show notes. He'll link it. Adam will link it. Homiletic and pastoral review. My email is on at the end of that article. If you have, if you can post a comment on the article, but the article also goes through this uh, similar information. Uh, my email is on there. Uh and you can reach out to me that way. Should they, is there value in uh, writing a letter to their senator? I mean, like for this legislation. You, that's yes, you can, you can write now. You can write. I, I would highly recommend you contact your political, uh, your, those of you, your representatives. your representatives, but they'll likely have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but that's fine because the whole reason that we're talking about this, the whole reason that Dr. Wynn and I published this article is because the people need to get involved, all right? The emperor brain death has no clothes, all right? The, the sophisticated philosophers have made this legal construct, and they're all looking at it, and they're all saying, oh, look at the beautiful clothes this has. And all the, all the normal people are saying, but the emperor is naked. And so get involved. Get involved because the truth will win out. This is very important. The truth will win out. If you believe that you have the truth, you will want everyone to criticize it, mm-hmm. to look at it very closely, to, to, to you want to hold it up and say, attack it from any angle that you can, okay? And those who support brain death are doing this behind the scenes, all right? They're suppressing those, they're suppressing, literally suppressing publication of articles against brain death. Now, that doesn't sound to me like someone who believes they have the truth, Right. If you suppress mm-hmm. those who have a, dis- a different view from your own. A lot of that going on these days. A lot of that going on. And yeah. so I would say talk to your priest, talk to your representatives, all right? Ask questions. Keep asking questions. Don't stop asking questions, all right? Get, ask questions and 
let's get this in front of the public so the public understands what's going on and then they can make a decision. But let's not have this grandfathered in the way the original uniform definition of death act was. And so have, no one has any idea what's actually going on. It's not right. Okay. Amen. Thank, thank you, Dr. Adley. I appreciate your time. Thank you.